Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Our scripture reading this morning will come from Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. I'll be reading from the ESV version. Verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but those, but the ones who humbles them himself will be exalted. Matthew chapter 5. Turn there, if you would, in your Bibles. Matthew is wanting his readers to know that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah the Son of God who has come to redeem His people from their sins. The first four chapters of Matthew, Matthew presents Jesus as the King. In chapter 1, he shows us the royal lineage of Jesus. He is the Son of David. In chapter 2, Jesus is the Messiah. We see that through the birth narrative and the response of Herod and the Magi. Chapter 3, he shows us that Jesus is the Messiah because Jesus had a forerunner which fulfilled prophecy. At his baptism, Matthew tells us that the Spirit and the Father confirm Jesus' deity. And then chapter 4, Jesus tempted. He identifies with sinners, but Jesus never sinned. He is perfect even while suffering, and only the Messiah can do such a thing. Jesus had called his disciples to himself and began to teach, and his teaching was like none the people had ever heard before. And he began to do miracles, of course, things they had never seen before. So as a result, there's large crowds gathering around Christ. And so we see in chapters 5 through 7 of the Gospel of Matthew the, the preaching of the king. So the presentation of the king, and now we have the preaching of the king. I want to read chapter 5. We'll just read verse 1 through uh, verse 6, seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, I planned on teaching through the Beatitudes in several weeks, but um, today we're going to get through verse 3, the first 
beatitude. So we'll speed up after this week, but kind of laying the groundwork, I think this first beatitude is, uh, is really important. And so that's where we're going. But we see here in the first 12 verses, there's eight beatitudes. And sometimes the beatitudes are what we call the attitudes that ought to be. And the word beatitude, just it's a Latin word that it comes from a Latin word meaning blessed or happy. And so we see these eight beatitudes. And then also with the beatitudes, following each one of them as a blessing, grace is uh, given to those who are part of the, the kingdom. These qualities, these characteristics that describe kingdom citizens are descriptions of, of each and every believer. I want, I want you to understand that these characteristics, they're not like the spiritual gifts that we see in Galatians chapter 5 where one believer is gifted one way, another believer is gifted differently. Each citizen in the kingdom should, should and will have all of these qualities, all these characteristics that we see here in the Beatitudes. But likewise, the, the blessings that follow aren't given out separately either. Each of these blessings will be given to each citizen in the kingdom. Does that make sense? So it's a all of these characteristics should be found in, in each kingdom citizen, each believer, and the blessings will, will all follow as well. John Stott, he says that the eight qualities together constitute the responsibilities and the eight blessings, the privileges of being a citizen of God's kingdom. This is what the enjoyment of God's rule means. So the first four Beatitudes... Um, I'll be repeating this through, throughout the next several weeks. But the first four Beatitudes focus on our relationship to God. It's this vertical relationship. And the second four deal with our relationship with fellow man, those horizontal relationships that we have. So the eight build upon one another, and there's a progression. Just, as, just like the Ten Commandments. If you read the Ten Commandments, right, you have the first four deal with our relationship with God, this vertical relationship that we have with Him. And then the next six deal with our relationships with uh, with, with one another. And in fact, Jesus, when asked what the greatest commandment was or the most important command, he answered in Matthew 22 by saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And what Jesus is doing there, he's summarizing the Ten Commandments, isn't he? He's dealing with how we relate to God and how we relate to one another. And we, the Beatitudes are compiled much in, in the same way. So what I want to do is just point out a couple of things to you today. Number one, we need to understand God's blessing. What does it mean to be blessed? Now, sometimes when we ask folks how they're doing, they oftentimes answer, well, I'm blessed. I had a man two days ago. He's been visiting our church for some time, and I ran into him. I asked him how he was doing. He said, I'm blessed. Better, better than I Better than I deserve. Well, that's a good and proper answer, isn't it? That's good. It's a good way to answer that, that, that question, I think. But what does it mean to say I'm blessed? Well, today I'm going to try to explain that, and I'll do that by telling you what it doesn't mean firstly. It doesn't mean to be happy, as some translations read. To be blessed doesn't mean happiness. Um, and the reason that is because to be happy is, is a subjective state of mind, isn't it? I mean, we're too moody, aren't we, Rodney? We're too moody for this word blessed to be, to mean happiness. Happiness is, in our understanding, is so unstable. It depends on our temporal circumstances, right? If my wife is treating me rightly like I think she should, I'm happy. But if she's not, maybe I won't be, right? Um, 
And even if you ask each of us here today, what does it mean to have a happy life? What does it mean to be happy? Our, our, the answers would vary from person to person. If you ask me how can a person be happy, what does it look like to be happy, I would say, well, living in the countryside where you can have chickens and a place for horses and a house full of kids, right? Um, but others may think that living in the city close to the movie theater and Walmart and having no yard at all and not having any children would lead to a happy life. I, I remember my first furlough. I came home. I'd been, we'd been overseas for several years, and, and I love to hunt, and I haven't hunted in years. And so I came home, and it was in the fall. It was 2010, and I got to go hunting. My, my dad and I were hunting over a slough, and and um, way up in a tree in a climbing stand, and, and there's a slough below me, and these wood ducks, they're just the beautiful duck. The wood ducks were just hitting the water up and down all day long. And I remember we had just left a city of 800,000 people, and I come, and I'm in the middle of the hatchy bottom in, a, in the top of a tree, and I sit there all day long. It was like heaven. But if you ask my wife if she would like to sit in the cold, in the top of a tree all day, she would think that's not happiness at all. It's misery. So those answers, if you ask the question what's happiness, they, they vary, don't they? Some say in order to be blessed, to be happy, you have to live in your own hometown, near your family, right? While others, like the Greg, considered being uh, happy, having a happy life means to go abroad to hard to reach places. Um, you get as many different answers as you um, is you have people and ask, what does it mean to be happy? Happiness is not a good description of what it means to be blessed. So what does it mean? I think uh, we need to think about God blessing us. When he blesses us, what does he do? He is approving of us and approving us. God can bless us. It is to find approval in someone. So, and in fact, we can bless God, can't we? And it, it looks differently, right? Because he's our superior, right? He's much... Uh, higher than we are, but we can bless God. We can approve of God. But to be blessed is to be favored by God, to receive grace from God. And Jesus is going to tell us what a, a blessed citizen looks like. It looks differently from what the world would say is a blessed life, for sure. The world, what would the world say? Uh, a blessed life, what does it look like? It means to have wealth and health and plenty of pleasures, plenty of leisure time. To be envied by other people, probably. But the blessings are listed here after each beatitude. The kingdom citizens, those who are given grace by God, it says they are granted entrance into the kingdom. They are comforted. They will inherit the earth. They are satisfied. They are given mercy. They see God. They are called the sons of God. They have a reward in heaven. These are the blessings that are poured out upon kingdom citizens. So this Sermon on the Mount, especially the Beatitudes, they tell us how to be blessed. It is the poor, not the haughty, the meek, not the proud, the merciful, not the cruel, the peacemakers, not the agitators who are called blessed. These Beatitudes, they tell us also what character qualities, what attitudes, what prerequisites if you will, one must have in order to be a kingdom citizen, in order to be blessed. So maybe that'll help you a little bit. What does it mean to be blessed, to be approved by God, to, to receive His grace, to find favor with God? 
The second thing I want us to understand today is that we, we, we should be, we must be poor in spirit. This is the first attitude that ought to be. This is the first prerequisite, if you will, of being blessed by God. And I'm going to explain it again by saying what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean to be poor financially. God doesn't bless all people because they're impoverished. Now, God has compassion toward the poor, but being poor in spirit has everything to do with the heart and nothing to do with the, the bank account. All right? So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? A couple of verses here. This is Bible drill. Our Bible drill for the morning. Get your Bibles. We're going to turn. Now, kids, if you get this before your parents, you have to get it before those in your the authority figures in your home. If you get this before all of your authority figures in your home, you don't have to make your bed for the next week. So parents, if you're losing these Bible drill uh, exercises every week and you're having to do all the dishes, you need to brush up on your Bible drill. Take your Bible to work on break, work on Bible drill. You can um, practice with that. All right, Bible drill today, uh, scripture is Isaiah 57, verse 15, Isaiah 57. Verse 15, we're looking, we're trying to figure out what does it mean to be poor in spirit. We get a, a glimpse. Uh, who's there? Anybody there yet? All right. Morgan's there. Phil's there. That's, you can't use your phone, bro. That's cheap. Amanda, she's got the, the, the te her Bible out. She's ready to go. Okay, Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. Lord, who can dwell with the Lord? Someone who is contrite and lowly. The same meaning as poor in spirit. Now flip over right there to Isaiah 66 verse 2. Help us out a little more, understanding what it means to be poor in spirit. Isaiah 66, verse 2. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So someone who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at God's word. This is helping us understand what it means to be poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit, it's not uh, one who thinks himself insignificant, but one who realizes left to himself, he's unable to help himself spiritually. The one poor in spirit is the one who sees himself for who he is, a rebellious sinner, incapable of fulfilling God's requirements of him. The one poor in spirit not only recognizes he hasn't hit the bullseye of God's standard, but he has no ability to do so. Again, may we understand what it means to be poor in spirit by seeing someone who um, wasn't poor in spirit. I feel read a, a text for us, Luke 18, start, starting there in verse 9, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And Luke tells this, uh, Jesus tells this parable to whom? To those who trusted in themselves. This Pharisee is one of those folks who would say, you have this phrase people use a lot, I got this. People say, oh, I got this, I got this. The Pharisee, that's what he said, I got, I got this. He was self-sufficient. He had it together. He trusted in his own righteousness. 
He says, I'm not needy. I got this. I'm okay. In fact, in verse 12 of Luke 18, he tells the Lord what he's done. He says, I fast twice a week and I tithe on all my earnings. But in contrast, we have the, the tax collector. He recognized his, recognized his need, didn't he? He recognized he was not only guilty of disobeying, but he was not even able to obey if he wanted to. That's the one who is poor in spirit. And verse 14 of Luke 18 says, the one who humbles himself will be what? The one who humbles himself will be exalted. That's right. The poor in spirit will be exalted. In fact, the, the poor in spirit will have the kingdom of heaven. The one who humbles himself will have God's blessing, God's approval. He'll receive grace from God. And the one who exalt, exalts himself like the Pharisee will be humbled, not receiving God's blessing. In fact, after Jesus called Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him, he had a, uh, a get-together at Matthew's house, and the tax collectors and sinners were there, and the Pharisees, they asked Jesus, why would he socialize with the sinners and tax collectors? Jesus answered them, I came not to call the righteous, but who? But sinners, right? Jesus tells us it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. The poor in spirit recognize that they are sick, that they are sinners. Another example of someone who was not poor in spirit is the Laodiceans in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord rebukes him. He says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. See, the poor in spirit, they realize they are needy. And I've shared this with you before. I think the best illustration, the best picture I've ever seen of someone who's poor in spirit was that lady I saw about 20 years ago. I was in Israel. And that morning I had read the Beatitudes and I was meditating on verse 3, what it meant to be poor in spirit. I, I was really struggling trying to understand that. And I remember we were out on the street and there was a lady there. She was a beggar, but she was not just any beggar. She was sitting on the sidewalk and she wasn't holding a bowl up, you know, begging because she didn't have any arms. And she wasn't walking around because she didn't have any legs. And she's just a stump of a person. It was a woman with no arms and no legs. And I saw this woman and I was taken back by it. And then I realized that woman has no ability. Not only is she poor, financially poor, but she has no ability to help herself out of that situation. She's totally helpless. She couldn't feed herself. She couldn't clean herself. She couldn't swat a fly off her face. And then I realized, thinking about that woman watching her, we're all like that spiritually. We're inept with no ability to help ourselves out of our predicament, spiritually speaking. That stuck with me, and I think about that every time I read this text. And then there's examples throughout the Scripture, isn't it, of those who were poor in spirit. Remember Gideon, the judge? 
He was used mightily by God to deliver the Israelites from the hand of the Midianites. D.A. Carson, he says, poverty of spirit may end in a Gideon vanquishing his enemy host. I mean, Gideon was used mightily by the Lord to deliver the Israelites from the Midianites in, in mighty, miraculous ways. But D.A. Carson says, but it began, begins with a Gideon who first affirms he is incapable of the task and who insists that if the Lord does not go with him, he would much prefer to stay home and thresh grain. After the Lord told Gideon to go and save the Israelites from the Midianites, Gideon responded this way in chapter 6, verse 15. Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Gideon was poor in spirit. And what about Moses? You remember Moses who was told by the Lord through the burning bush to go to Pharaoh and let God's people go. Moses responded in Exodus 3.11, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Moses was poor in spirit. And Isaiah, what about Isaiah? He saw in Isaiah chapter 6 the vision of the Lord. How did he respond? Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And Peter, when Jesus had called Peter. Peter had been fishing all night. And he comes to the shore and Jesus tells him to cast his nets into the water. And Peter said, well, I've been fishing all night. And finally he throws his nets overboard and he caught a boatload of fish. And he, you remember his response? He comes ashore and he falls at Jesus' feet and he says, depart from me for I am a sinful man. See, Peter was poor in spirit. What about the Apostle Paul? He was poor in spirit. He says, I'm not fit to be called an apostle. I'm the least of the apostles. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says he was the chief of sinners. Yeah, he's poor in spirit. Jesus said he's come for the needy, those who saw they were needy, right? Jesus didn't come for those who didn't think they had a need or wanted Jesus' help. No, Jesus came for those who wants his help, recognize their need. And, and this, this verse, verse 3, this first beatitude, this first attitude that we ought to have, it sets a tone for the rest of the sermon. I'm looking forward to going through this text verse by verse. Who is blessed by God? Who finds favor with God? Who is the one receiving grace from God is the one who recognizes they don't deserve it. See, those who are poor in spirit are those in whom the law of God has done its job. What's the purpose of the law? What's the purpose of the law? It does several things. First of all, it reveals God's character. Right? We can understand who God is by the law that He gives. It reveals God's will. It reveals God's standard, doesn't it? It shows sinners that they are indeed sinners as you read through the law of God. And no matter how hard you try not to covet, what do we do? We covet. No matter how hard we try not to 
be an adulterer, what do we do? We, we lust. You know, Romans chapter 3, verse 20 tells us that through the law comes knowledge of sin. The one who's poor in spirit, the law has done its job. The one who's poor in spirit is those who see their spiritually bankrupt, their inept, in need, in need of a Savior, in need of grace, in need of mercy. Let me ask you this morning, have you ever been poor in spirit? Have you ever seen yourself as a spiritual beggar? Have you ever realized that you're spiritually bankrupt? Have you recognized your sin like the prodigal? You remember the story of the prodigal, don't you? The prodigal son, he came home poor in spirit after squandering his father's money. He returns home in Luke 15, 21. He says to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in, in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. At that moment, he's poor in spirit. Have you ever acknowledged your sin before the Lord? If you haven't, I want to encourage you to confess your sin. Confess your sin and turn from it. Repent of it and trust Christ's work on the cross as your own so you could be forgiven. You could be a recipient of God's grace. 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just. He'll forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you need to be cleansed? Have you been cleansed from your sin? Has your sin debt been paid by the Savior? I want to encourage you, based by way of application today, if you've never done that, to do that today. You're a sinner, but the Lord loves you. The Bible tells us that He loves you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus, to come to this earth to live for you and to die for you. He lived a perfect life for you, keeping the law. And He died a cruel death. He was buried on the third day. He rose so that we could be justified. Have you ever been poor in spirit? I hope today you're poor in spirit if you've never been. I want to encourage you to turn to the Lord, cry out to Him, and receive the grace and the forgiveness He wants to give you today. We see today that we're that some people are receiving blessings from the Lord, those who have these characteristics these attitudes that ought to be. The poor in spirit, they receive grace, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be blessed, to be approved by God, to find favor with God, to receive grace from Him. We said we must be poor in spirit. We must see ourselves as spiritually bankrupt. That's our true and realistic situation. But for us believers, those who have been poor in spirit, those who've received the grace of God, those who said they're born again and they're, they're a citizen of the kingdom, I want to remind you these beatitudes, these attitudes are prerequisites to being citizen of the kingdom. But these qualities, these characteristics, these attitudes are attitudes that ought to be 
part of our everyday life as we live as citizens. Maybe for you, maybe you're a believer, but maybe you're, you would say that you're not experiencing the joy of your salvation. And you remember, can you remember as a believer, if you're a believer and you're listening to this, you're watching this, can you remember back when you repented, when you were, when you were first poor in spirit and you, you realized you were a spiritual beggar and you were spiritually bankrupt and you remember crying out to the Lord? Do you remember when you were saved, what that was like, crying out to the Lord, asking for His forgiveness, asking for His grace, asking for His mercy? Do you remember how you felt? You were so humble, yielded to the Lord realizing that you had no hope, that He was your hope. Do you remember that? Do you remember your attitude and your, your approach to the throne? See, we experience that and we're born again, but believers, we, we have to, we're supposed to keep that same attitude. So believer, are you keeping that attitude? Are you poor in spirit? It's not a one-time event in your life. We, I remember I was saved and I was broken over my sin. Well, that, God wants us to keep that yielded, submitted, dependent attitude towards the Lord. Could it be that you don't experience, you're not experiencing the joy of the Lord that you once experienced? Could it be because you're not poor in spirit? And I will say too, church, this isn't, this isn't a natural tendency this isn't something that we have within ourselves. You know, we don't just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Okay, all right, today I'm going to get her done. I'm going to be poor in spirit. No, it has to come from the Lord. And I'm going to be mentioning that throughout the week. I'm going to send out some messages on how do we stay poor in spirit? How do we keep that attitude? How do we have that, that mentality if it's a work of the Lord? I'll be sending out some things, teaching throughout the week. But I want to encourage you with that, brother and sister. If you're not poor in spirit, you should be. That's, just, that's the attitudes that ought to be. I want to pray as we're dismissed. I'm excited to be teaching through this text. I've been really challenged and encouraged by it. My prayers that you will be as well. But let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we acknowledge that we're needy, people. We're not where we should be most of the time. That's true in my life. And Lord, the attitude that I had on November 25th of 1990 of being poor in spirit, yielded, recognizing my need for you, submitted to you, yielded to you. Father, I recognize that I don't always have that same attitude. Father, I think I can do it on my own, that maybe I don't need your help at a particular point in my life. And as a result, sometimes, Father, I, that I don't have the joy of my salvation and I struggle. Father, we need to be poor in spirit. That's a prerequisite to being a, a kingdom citizen, to being a child of God. It's a prerequisite to having the blessings from heaven poured out upon our lives. But, Father, it's also a prerequisite for our sanctification. And, Father, I try to man up and do things on my own, 
far too often instead of being yielded to you, poor in spirit, depending on you for your help and your mercy. And I pray for our church that we would be a church that full of folks that has this attitude being yielded to you, realizing without you we have no hope. As we sing that song, you are hope and life and death. It is true. Father, may we live like it, dependent on you. And Father, for those that are listening today, the little boy, the little girl, the man and the woman that is yet to yield to you, they can't say that they've been like that prodigal. They never confess that they've sinned against heaven. They are no longer worthy to be called your son. They've never had that attitude. I pray that you would bring about repentance in sinners' lives, that you would grant them faith, that they would trust you and they would yield to you. pray that you would save sinners today. I pray that sons and daughters and mamas and daddies would be saved today, that for the first time they would be able to say that they're poor in spirit. They would be like that tax collector who just beat his breast and wouldn't look up to heaven but say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. May you do that work in lost people today. And Father, as we continue this study, bless it, Father. Use it for your glory. For your honor's sake, may our church be a church that's yielded to you. May we be kingdom citizens that live rightly, that give you much glory. Even as we teach this throughout the week via text and via videos. May you bless it. Give us understanding of your word and help us to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information and we'll see you next time.